Welcome to the New Day Community Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you are encouraged by this message from the Nichols Road Campus. For more info, look us up at newdaycommunity.org. All right, Consider the Outcome is the name of this series. And um, uh, the description for the series and kind of give you an understanding of, of what we're going to be doing over the next couple of months through the summer is looking at the lives of other people individuals in scripture to learn from them. And uh, the Bible contains many, many accounts of, of real people. Um, in fact, that's how the Bible is written. It's, it's the story of other people's experiences encountering God, other people's experiences living life, uh, uh, making mistakes and learning from them or uh, doing good things and seeing the fruit. And so we, we read scripture, we learn from others, and the Bible commands us to do that. We can learn from their victories, and we can be cautioned by their failures um, <clears throat> and evaluate the result of their approach to life with God in order to apply it to our own. So in the book of Hebrews in the New Testament, it actually tells us to consider the outcome of their ways. And so we're going to be looking at a number of individuals, Daniel, Ruth, Elijah. I'm going to be talking two weeks about Elijah. Are you excited? Wait till you hear it. <laughs> Among others. But it all starts with our Father, uh, Father God. And understanding Him is really the foundation for understanding everyone else's life story, including our own. When God created the plants, think about this. When God created the plants, he spoke to the earth. He told the earth, uh, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed and fruit trees bearing fruit in which their seed, which is their seed, according to its kind on the earth. So to create plants, he spoke to the earth. When God created fish and birds, he spoke to the water. He spoke to the, size, uh, the, the sky. He said, let the waters abound with an abundance of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the face of the firmament of heavens. And so he spoke and out of that came a fish and, and, and all the creatures that live in the sea and all the birds that live in the air. When God created animals, he spoke to the ground, the dirt. He said, let the earth bring forth the living creatures according to its kind, cattle and creeping things, and the beasts of the earth, each according to its kind, and it was so. And so out of the ground burst forth, at the command of God, all of the different living creatures that exist, uh, that we can still experience many of them. But, and this is the important part, when he created humans, he spoke to himself. God said, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over all the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man uh, in his own image, in the image of God he created him, male and female he created them. And so mankind, humankind, is created out of God himself. That's huge. It differentiates us from the rest of creation because our origin was a different source. It was God himself. And in the very first story of Scripture, the Bible's filled with stories, we need to learn the lessons that are contained in this very first story. And I actually have found in my years of ministry, that really every important idea, the theological concept, uh, truth, has its origin in that first story. In Genesis 1 through 3, there's, there's something in that. And this is one of the most important things. God is revealed as the Father, uh, creator of all things, but uniquely the Father of humankind. We're made in his image. We're image bearers of God. So the Hebrew word is simply father. And what's interesting, if you're 
familiar, there's this book called Strong's Concordance, this guy back in the, I think it was the late 1700s, 1800s, like long before there were computers. <laughs> he took the Hebrew language and assigned a number to every Hebrew word so that those who did not know Hebrew, and he also did it for the New Testament, Greek, so in the Old Testament it's Hebrew uh, and Aramaic, and in the New Testament it's Greek, and there's still, there is some Aramaic in the New Testament. He has assigned a number, and then that number helps us identify the definition without having to learn Greek and Hebrew. It's amazing. But the number for the word father is one. Ha-ha! I don't don't know his system of assigning numbers, but I'm pretty sure the dude was amazing, all right? (laughs) I'm sure he had a good reason. He didn't just say, wow, that's a good number. And it's, 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 it's a primary fun, fundamental word. It's the basis of the language in, in one sense. Uh, 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 so it's number one. And I think it also reveals, hey, this, it all starts with the Father. And guess what? That's what the word means. Originator. God is the origin. Out of him, everything proceeds. He is the Big Bang. And before the Big Bang, it was him. And then he had a bang. And there's, sure, the whole universe is filled with evidence of it. It's what the Bible says. (laughs) And if God is the originator of all things, that means he's your originator. He's my originator. Scary thing happened a few decades ago, actually now. I looked in the mirror one day. I was like, geez, it was my father looking back at me. Now, if you'd known my father, (laughs) that would mean more to you than you possibly can comprehend. All right? He was a scary dude, uh, especially when I was little. Eventually, I got bigger than him. I was still scared of him. <laughs> but he was inten- intense in many, many ways. And um, I still see it. I see it every day when I look in the mirror. I see my father. <laughs> you know, there's a weird thing happening in our, and it's always been a part of humanity. But in our day, it's, it's, um, it's really, really being pushed heavily, like a drug that's being sold. And it's telling young people that they need to find their identity as though you can discover it, as though you can choose it. And I'm here to tell you that's not an option. Identity is not something to be found. It's not something you can choose. Identity is given and either received or rejected. And it's an orphan who does not know their identity because they don't know their origin. They don't know their parent. But a son or a daughter, they're given their identity. Think about this. Everything in your life that identifies you was something you were given that you had virtually no choice in. Your driver's license number? What number would you like? Your social security number, given at birth now for life. Okay. How about your fingerprint? Where did they come from? You can't change them. Your DNA. You know, you can mutilate the body through surgery, but you still still carry your original DNA. And even if they figure out and they're working on ways to change the DNA, 
You know, mankind is really good at corrupting what God has invented. Every aspect of you that forms your identity is something that's given. And so if you're searching for your identity, receive it from the one who has the authority to give it. And there's different levels of that. You receive a portion of your identity from, from your natural family and from your, uh, your, your environment, your, your community. But your ultimate identity comes from your ultimate source, and that is the Father that you have in heaven, God your Father. All right, listen. The Bible is the story of God. It's not the complete story. It's just enough uh, to give us everything we need to know God as Father and to know his character and his ways. It's like the story of the prodigal son. Really bad name for that story. It's actually the story of the faithful father. He's the main character of that story. And when you study the actions and the consequences of the, of the prodigal son and the older brother, and then you see how the father responds to both of them, the purpose that Jesus told that story was to teach about the character and the nature of the Father. In the same way, the Bible is the story of God. Every story in this book, every command, every account of an individual or people group's life, every prophecy, even every sin and the consequences of those sins and bad actions, all of, us, all of that informs us uh, informs our understanding of our Heavenly Father, what He's like, how He responds. You know, it's amazing how God responds consistently throughout all of Scripture. And God is he is the originator. He is the initiator. And too often we think that God waits until we do the right thing, and then if we do the right thing, then God will respond. Ha! How silly is that? God is doing the right thing consistently, constantly, everything. And, 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 and occasionally we respond right. Okay? You see, it? it's, it's, it's the stories about the Father, and it reveals the Father, and we're called into relationship with the Father. And I hope if you, when you approach Scripture, you approach it, what does this story teach me about my heavenly Father? What does it teach me about myself? What does it teach me about others? Yeah, that's what, those are all important. But ultimately, it's when we get to know, you know, uh, the Father. I believe that the purpose of life, <clears throat> some, I was with a friend, and we were sitting in a restaurant. He was a pastor, Rick Oldman. This happened just, just recently down in South Carolina. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> people will come up and go, so what, you know, the waitress was being nice and you know so what do you guys what do you do what do you do why are you why are you in town uh, well we're, we're actually pastors and they start as she started asking questions and uh um they asked something to the effect of what's the purpose of life i said well that's easy purpose of life is to know god and be known by him through jesus christ his son that's it man Everything in life is, is for one purpose, is to know God and be known by Him, to have relationship with God that is accessible because of what Jesus Christ did when He came uh, and died on the cross. All right, the problem is there's a couple other fathers involved, all right? Uh, one is our natural father, all right? and we inherit so much. And in addition, in addition to what we actually inherit genetically, we learn so much from our natural fathers or lack thereof, all right, that are con that's, those things that we learn and inherit are contrary to the nature of our Heavenly Father. And so that's a huge influence in us. And the general term for that is worldliness. It's everything that, 
is the result of living in this world as a human being. And listen, no one is immune. And in fact, you and I are influenced by worldliness so much. And most of our lives were clueless. We think it's our ideas. We think these are our choices. All right? When probably 99% of them are just things you have inherited or things you've learned. All right? And so you just assume this is the way it is. But that's because you've grown up in the world, speaking the language you speak in a, in a country that has a, an operating system that is unique and in many ways absurd. <laughs> and we just, we get conditioned. This is one of the reasons I love to travel. Because you go, I go to places where I'm the minority. Okay, when I go to Japan, I stick out like a sore thumb. I'm head and shoulders above all the rest. Kind of nice. <laughs> All right, or other places. And you realize one of the things I, I learned is that, you know, us Americans are, 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 uh, we just think we're the best, don't we? Well, you know, we are. <laughs> no, we're not. We think we are. And so I love it when I go to another country and I realize, you know, the way they do things actually is like a thousand times better than the way we do it. <laughs> the biggest thing is food. We have the most food, hands down. You know that between approximately 30 to 35% of the amount, of, uh, uh, the amount of, of stuff in landfills in America, you know what it is? Food! We throw away more food than the rest of the world eats. Part of it is our food quality is really low. <laughs> Seriously. Uh, it's amazing. Most parts of the world, you, you eat something, you go, wow, why does it taste so good? Because it's not produced by a machine. You know? And there's lots of reasons. There's a lot of other things that we can learn. But this influence of worldliness, it's invisible, it's unconscious part of our genetics and our environment, and it shapes us, and we need to identify it so that, that parts of that that are contrary to the ways of God, we can resist and repent of, and that's where we discover, because, you know, the definition of a blind spot is something you can't see, right? You're not going to find it on your own. You need help discovering it. And that's where counseling, uh, Holy Spirit help, inner healing, dealing with the issues of your heart, being uh, discipleship and trained, all of those are ways to uncover the hidden, uh, unconscious uh, influences in our lives that are contrary to God's will. And then there's this other guy. He's our father by law. Not father-in-law, but father by law. I kind of like that nickname. Uh, He's also called the devil or Satan, the serpent, the evil one, the father of lies. When Adam sinned, he came under the authority of Satan. Okay? And it's, it really reveals this. Many, many, it's hard for me to pick out one verse that, that kind of communicates this, but I like, I like the verse in Hebrews 2, 14, that through death he, Jesus, might render powerless him, the devil, who had the power of death, that is the devil, and might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all of their lives. All right? Life apart from Christ is slavery. All right? The world's system is a system of slavery. And each and every one of us we're born into a slave family. And we're raised in a household of slavery. And then when we get to the place we, where we're of age, begin to make decisions, we, like the nation of Israel, when they were delivered from Egypt, they were still thinking like slaves. 
And that had to be removed. And what it took was they all had to die in the desert. And so something has to die, and you need to be reborn before you can enter in to the promised land of freedom and live apart from slavery, all right? And so that is getting out from under the dominion of slavery. And so even once you accept Jesus as Lord, you're set free. You're going to heaven. Yep. But so much of our lives are still lived in that state of being ruled by Satan and doing things the way that we think are right but are actually contrary. Does this make sense? Somebody say amen. Amen. Thank you. (laughs) Growing spiritually is sorting all of this out. What's from the world? What did I, what, they're here, you know, and you know what? I got a lot of good stuff from my dad, like my eyebrows. (laughs) And, you know, I can be scary. (laughs) Well, I used to be. Now I'm just like Santa Claus. I can still be scary. (laughs) Uh, uh, But there was a lot of bad stuff, too. And the devil, sorting that out. That's what, that's what growing, that's what, that's what sanctification is, is sorting out what's from my natural father, what's from the world, what's from Satan, what's demonic here, and what's from the father. You know, what do I want to hold on? There's some good stuff from my natural uh, father and, from the, and even from our culture. There's good things in every culture. We don't want to reject those good things, but we need to be able to identify them. There's nothing good in Satan. Okay. <laughs> his influence we just need to get rid of and where is the father at so I love this passage <clears throat> it's from the book of Hosea which is one of the uh, minor prophets and he was a contemporary of Amos and Isaiah there was actually a revival happening of prophecy and God was, was calling his children back from uh, living in idolatry and Hosea's uh, powerful book incredible story encourage you to read it and study it. I'm not going to uh, exegete the whole book, obviously. I'm just going to exegete. We're going to go through this passage and identify eight demonstrations of God as Father. And so what's significant about this passage is this is a passage in Scripture where God, through the prophet, is explaining himself. All right? It's not someone's opinion of God. This is God using the mouth of the prophet to communicate, this is what I've done. This is how I display my fatherhood to you. This is how I've acted toward my children, speaking specifically of the nation of Israel, but this is how he acts towards all of his children. And so there's eight specific things in this passage. I'll read them, then we're going to go through each one. I'll give you a handout with all of them, so you can take little notes, circle them, and some questions. So, when Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. The more I called them, the more they went from me. They kept sacrificing to the Baals and offering incense to idols. Yet it was I who taught Ephraim to walk. I took them up in my arms, but they did did not know that I healed them. I led them with cords of human kindness, with bands of love, I was to them like those who lift infants to their cheeks. I bent down to them and fed them. Eight things in this passage that God identifies as actions that he uh, does. And the first one is that he loved. And this word means to have affection. It's a a word that uh, by definition involves intimacy. And it is the love of friends, filio, the love of family, the Greek sorge, uh, romantic love, the Greek eros, uh, as well as uh, you know, every aspect of love. Uh, those are the, it's, it's a general term in the Hebrew, that, but it, it, it expresses God's affection. Really, the best word that, that captures this, the meaning is affection. It's not distant. It's not like love in a theoretical sense. It's not 
removed. It's very present, all right? Um, <clears throat> and God said, I, he initiated that. I love. God loved Israel while they were still, uh, you know, when they were slaves in Egypt, they had, they had very little knowledge of God. It had been 400 years that they had lived in this foreign culture. And God rescued them out of that, right? And, and this idea is that, uh, uh, you know, we, in the New Testament, it says we love God because he loved us first. And so God loves his children. Well, who is his children? God has affection for you, but for every man, woman, and child on planet Earth. This is why we send out teams to go to different areas of the world to communicate that God loves you. And so when you're down in the mountains of Tennessee talking to the people of Appalachia, and it's a fun place to go. What was that? <laughs> Did you all hear that sound? That was a baby sound? Oh, that's a good sound. Sorry. <laughs> You're going to hear some funny sounds in Appalachia. Like how they talk. <laughs> all right. It's to communicate. It's like when you talk to someone, when you encounter someone in your life, God already loves them. Whether they know it or not. As much as he loves you, and he loves you as much as he loves Jesus. The Bible actually says that. God is intimate and affectionate for us, and he desires intimacy from us. See, that's the thing about love, is it has to be returned. And God's love is constant, but we can only benefit from it if we receive it. And if we return love for love, we enter into that relationship. And if we resist it, then that it doesn't matter how much he loves us because we harden ourselves from his affection. But knowing that God is affectionate, he's not an angry, mean, judgmental, old guy in heaven waiting to pound you. He's a loving father that literally has done everything in his power to rescue you. Have you and I, have we said yes to his affection? Many people say yes to his lordship, thinking he's the boss, he's all-powerful, I'll say yes till I get to heaven and not go to hell. But that's not what he's inviting you and I to. That's not what he's inviting your neighbors to, your coworkers to. He's inviting us into a relationship of love. Because that's who he is. The second thing is that I called. It means to cry, to call, to utter a loud sound, to summons, invite, commission, to appoint, and endow. Endow means to, to give authority or power, to give some, to give, give some resource. <clears throat> Listen, God is not silent. He is constantly and in countless ways crying out for our attention. crying out with a loud voice. Think of it, the very first story. I'm going to scare the children. Right? In the garden, what happened after Adam and Eve sinned and they hid? What was the next thing that God did? He called. He said, where are you? Do you think God knew where he was? So it wasn't for God's sake that he asked the question, where are you? He was saying that to get Adam and Eve to think, where are we? Where are you? God is calling that 
every day, in every way, to every person, to get them to open their eyes and their minds. Where are you in relationship to him? God is calling and crying. And that word is, is an emotional word. Right? He's crying out. It's like uh, we, uh, our daughter, one of our daughters. Actually, she did it all the time. But there was one time where she just disappeared. You know, and it was, we were about ready to go to bed. And, you know, this was years ago. How old was she? She's like that old. <laughs> and, we're, you know, you peek in, check your kids, like there's one missing. <laughs> Kathy, Emily's missing. Where'd you put her? <laughs> and, uh, and she had a habit of just running off, like in the stores. She just, uh, and we'd have to chase her down. And we thought, oh, my goodness, she ran out. She ran out the door. It's at night. It's not in the best neighborhood. I'm literally in the street. Emily! Emily's crying out her name. I'm going through the house. We turn on every light. I'm shouting her name. I'm like, oh, Jesus, I can't believe it. And then, uh, hey, we were afraid, young parents. We didn't know what to do. <laughs> and in that house, we had a little uh, linen closet in the stairway. I'm walking down the stairs, check every room, every place. I, what? I haven't looked in this cupboard, opened it up, and there she was, curled up on the linen, fast asleep. Yeah, oh. but that that feeling beforehand is how God feels for every child that's lost. I taught, I it was I who taught Ephraim. Ephraim is like he used a particular name to emphasize the intimacy, and Ephraim was one of the smallest of the clans. Uh, one of the triumphs of parenthood. If you uh, ask most parents, they'll be able to tell you how. Each child, you know, the story of the first steps. You know, oh, we remember it so well, and they took their first step because it's emotional. It's an intimate time when you're when you see your child finally figure out how to walk. <laughs> you know, and uh, uh, that's what God's referring to. It's like He was there when Israel took His first step, and guess what? God is present at every first step. Not only actually walking. But the steps to understanding yourself. You know, when you're a child, you're, you're barely self-aware. Technically, you're, you're self-aware, but you don't really realize it. And there's points in your life where you become aware of different aspects of you. And then you step into individuality. You know, you realize that you, you, you actually are your own person. You be, get to make your own choices. In that step, God's there. Stepping into relationships, stepping into adulthood, stepping into careers. In every step, God is there. And God is encouraging and calling you to stay intimate with him and to follow him. I love that that's the word that Jesus used when he called people to become Christians. He didn't say, uh, say a sinner's prayer. He didn't say, come to the altar and bow. He said, just follow me. Walk like I walked. God's there at the first step. Whatever step in, that you're taking in your life, maybe you're stepping into a new season of life, uh, God's there. And he's, he wants to teach you because that's, that's what parents do. And my question is, are we walking with God? But you know, you have the choice. You can walk with him, but then there are distractions. There's worldly options, and there's demonic options, and they are calling too. And whose voice will you listen to? To do it God's way? Or to do what you think is your way, but is really the world's way and Satan's way? Step toward him, because he's a faithful father. He says, I took. I took them up in my arms. And I love that throughout Scripture, we see God constantly, repeatedly intervening in the lives of his followers 
to rescue them, to take them out of bad situations and lead them into deliverance. You know, if you think about this passage and all the different things, it, it is a parallel. I actually should say the Lord's Prayer is a parallel to this passage. It's almost like it's very possible Jesus had this passage in mind when he said that prayer. Lead us not into temptation, but into deliverance, right? Uh, 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 all the different uh, aspects of the Lord's Prayer. Well, God continues to do this today. He rescues us out of problems. So often when we're crying out, why God, why has this happened? One, there's no answer to the question why. All right, and the, the best uh, display of that is that even Jesus, God the Son, on the cross, what was the question that he cried out? Why? What did God answer? Silence. What happened? I didn't think it was a funny point. (laughs) You know, we always thought that what was going on in this room would disrupt what was going on out there, but we never thought about it happening the other way. (laughs) So the the question isn't why, right? The point is, where is God providing deliverance? Jesus actually was delivered from that death. You know, he wasn't forsaken. It was all part of the plan, and he knew that, but he had to experience that cry of why and then die and then experience God's resurrection, uh, that God raised him from the... In the same way, it's not wrong to cry out why, but understand that God has a plan to deliver you out of whatever problem you're in if you stay close to him, if you follow his lead. He wants to grab hold, and that's a literal translation of I took. He said, grab hold and pull us up out of danger. Uh, to help us avoid traps and temptations uh, and, and, and uh, guide us into his will, into his ways, into life, into freedom. All right? And that constant pull of the world and the enemy to the, to the ways of slavery can only be found through intimacy with our Heavenly Father and through knowing Him and being known by Him in relationship with the Lord Jesus. And we are quite explicitly operating counterculturally to the entire human race when we follow God. And that is because the entire human race is on the escalator to hell. And we're going the other way. Are you hearing me? All right. God, this is what God does. He takes us up in his arm. Have you felt his grasp, his pull? And have you yielded or are you resisting? So you can be, everyone in this room may have said yes to Jesus, but there are ways in your life that you're still resisting his pull. Identify those, repent of it, and follow him. I love this one. It says, I healed. And he says, they did not know I was healing them, right? Even when his people were unaware, God God was actively healing. Wow. This means to make not only just a physical healing, like, oh, I got a sore knee. That makes it better. Great. But uh, to make healthy or healthful, to heal the hurts of nations as well as individuals. And I love this part is that this word, the idea, involves a restoration of favor. In other words, taking you not only out of the sickbed, but putting you back into your rightful place in the family and in the purposes of God and what you're called to be, all right? Wholesomeness is the word I think best. And so God 
is actively healing, whether we know it or not. Right now in your life, there are areas that God is working on to bring healing. And again, yes, this means physical healing. When you have a physical pain or disability or limited ability in an area, um, don't complain about it. Uh, uh, Pray about it. And I don't mean just, I mean, yeah, sure, pray about it, like, God, please heal me in this area. But continually hold that up before God. All right? Like, God, do you feel this pain in my knee? This pain in my feet? You know, and just say, God, this is yours. Deliver me from this. Do you feel this pain in my heart? Something happened to me just a few days ago. The person who said what they said, actually it was two people, and then the one guy repeated it, and it hurt me. Nobody in the room knows what I'm talking about, because there wasn't anybody here. But it really hurt. Uh, I felt misunderstood, underappreciated, uh, frustrated. I was like, how could they? How could they possibly say that? And you know what? I felt God say to me, "Enter into that pain. Feel the pain." I don't want to. I want to be mad. I want to think of ways to make them feel the way I'm feeling. He wouldn't let me do that. But he, he, like, it was two days. And then you know what? It doesn't hurt anymore. I'm like, oh. God understands. Are we, God, that was God's process of healing me on an emotional level, all right? I had to endure the pain. It's like going to the dentist. It's going to hurt. You know when the doctor says that? Oh, man. (laughs) Are we allowing God to make us healthy? I could have ran away. I could have blamed others, but I sat in the pain. And I found the Father there. And now I'm okay. I led them with cords of human kindness, with bands of love. God actively leads us if we're willing to be led. All right? And, and, and this is where it's scary, the responsibility that God has put into your hands. Because you have the ability to resist God. And no one can force you to follow him, and not even him. He won't do that. But I think the, the phrase, with cords of human kindness, is specifically, is I, it's like God saying, I use humans to do this. All right? Now, Jesus did come as a man, but that was just for a short little period of 30-some years. And this happened like almost a 1,000 years before Jesus came when he spoke these words. God loves us through other humans. Our faith is personal, but never private. All right? We cannot follow Christ apart from Christian community. Jesus is not your personal guru, all right? He is your Lord, and we are part of his body, the church. Why? Because it's through cords of love and and, and human kindness that we receive the love of God. And if you're separated from community, faith community, you can't get it, all right? God's chosen to, 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 to use others as a way to communicate his love. Yes, he can speak to you and touch you and communicate love directly, but he uses others primarily. And so my question to you is, are you experiencing that and how? Where in your life can you identify, oh, that wasn't just a pastor doing that or that wasn't sister so-and-so doing that. That was God loving me through them. And acknowledge that's the act of God as a heavenly father ministering to his children through his children. Number seven is I lifted. I was uh, 
I was like one who lifts a child to the cheek. Isn't that an intimate expression? Picking up a child and just getting in their face. Or it can also be translated, I was to them as those who take the yoke from their neck. God is not, you know, this is where parenting, most parents err, including myself. We unintentionally or intentionally put burdens on our children. You have to do it this way. You have to do this. You have to do that. Do this. Do that. Do that. Do this. Don't do that. Don't do that. And there's burdens and burdens and burdens. But God actually is like, ah, you know, I'm like, when I'm around young parents, if you listen to me, I'll say, don't worry about it. Lighten up. <laughs> it's okay. You know, when, when they're communicating to their kids that are doing things that, I don't know, they, they're getting upset about. <laughs> it's like God, God takes burdens off of us. When God lifts us up, it's not to put a rule book on us. It's to, it's to remove the burdens of life, the burdens we've inherited, the burdens our natural world has put on us, the burdens the enemy has put on us. Because in him, it's, there's freedom. Right? And so th- this lifting up is, is, is raising us <laughs> or, uh, and releasing us. It actually means to rear, to, 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 to raise a child. And, and God himself sees himself as our parent. There is not a single person on planet Earth that is fatherless. At best, earthly fathers, we just function in a, in a temporary way until our children can gain understanding and relationship with our Heavenly Father. But God is a father to every man, woman, and child. And he wants to raise, he's actively involved. But do we respond to his fathering? Are we resistant like the Israelites? And this whole passage, if you read the chapter, it's about God confronting them as being uh, resistant to his fathering ways. Or are we responsive? Jesus learned obedience through the things he suffered. So even Jesus had to, had to experience that, and that's why we suffer, and that's why we go through hard things, is because we learn that relational connection with our Heavenly Father. Last one is I fed them. Feeding is a fundamental act of a caregiver. Do you realize that every morsel of food is a gift from heaven? All right? It's an expression of love. <clears throat> Israel forgot this, and the word Baal is actually the... Uh, the language of, of, of Canaan, uh, that's their general term for God. And one of the things that had happened was the Israelites began to use that word when they talked about Jehovah. And Hosea, a big theme in Hosea, is the prophet confronting that. Don't use that heathen word for heavenly father, all right? Because they were looking to the Baals, to the false god, for their provision and not recognizing that God is the one that provides. Do we see that? Do we receive it? So consider the outcome. The father loved, called, taught, took, healed, led, lifted, and fed his children. Even when they were astray, unaware, his love was constant. In what ways can you and I, can we imitate him, love and call and teach and take, and heal, and lead, and lift, and feed those around us this week. All right, would you stand with me as we get ready to wrap up this morning? Thank you, Pastor Cameron. Good word. I love how he had questions for us along with each one. It was about responding to who God is and what God does for his children. So I want to challenge you to respond this week. I'm not going to take time to do it here, but while the moment's fresh, just make a little commitment right now in your heart that you're going to respond to what you heard today. If you never become a child of God, if you haven't accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior and committed to follow him, that's where it starts. (laughs) 
in one sense, we're all made in his image. And so God is father of all, but he calls us to be adopted into his family in a specific way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. And so there's one way to become a child of God and Jesus is it. So start there if you haven't already. And then beyond that, if you have, look at your life. See where you are not being responsive to the Father and his love and care. Maybe where you're resisting or rejecting. And and make a commitment to process that this week. Pastor Cameron talked about sitting with pain. Sometimes you have to sit with the truth of where you're at. We talked about that in recent sermon series. You know, it's just a blue dot on the map. You are where you are, and ignoring it doesn't change it. You're still there. I can put away my phone and pretend I'm not at 3600 Nichols Road, but I'm still here (laughs) until I go somewhere else. How do I get where I'm going? Got to start where you're at. Let's pray into that, then I'll dismiss you. Father God, thank you this morning for revealing yourself as Father, what kind of Father you are. Help us to respond to you in spirit and in truth. We worship you in spirit and in truth, and we respond to who you are with um, not just intellectual assent to the truth, but also in the spirit, with who we are, with what we are, with our heart and the deep levels of who we are. Help us to respond to you, to become your child if we haven't, to become um, a responsive child, one that's content to sit on your lap when you take us up, to lead where you're going to when you take us by the hand. Help us not to be stubborn, strong-willed against you, but to be resolute in following you. Help us to be honest and genuine with where we're at right now so that you can take us forward where you want us to go, God. I pray you do that for us as a church community, that you would take New Day forward where you want us to go. Help us to be honest with where we're at as a church community when we gather. Pray you do that in individual lives this week, and we just continue to pray a blessing over the the mission trip team that goes. I pray you'd give each person on this team your heart for the lost God, a heart to go and serve. Jesus, you didn't come to be served, but to serve others. Help us between now and tomorrow morning to get our hearts right and in line with you, Jesus. We're not going to be served or be pleased, but to serve others and to share the truth of the good news with them. Help us all to do that everywhere we go. In Jesus' name, amen.